Linda Phils here. Welcome to my show where I will be sharing with you the strangest secrets to spiritual and professional success and productivity. Now, here's why you want to listen. I'm a preacher's daughter who went from wearing hand-me-downs to giving people a hand up in life and in business. As a woman, a wife, a mom, and a glass ceiling smasher, business owner, dream resurrector, and coffee aficionado, I love working with men and women like you, from the boardroom to the classroom. I've met with adversity, met with success, and overcome a few obstacles along the way. I've learned the strangest secrets of how to succeed as one who is a spiritual professional, empowering anyone who wants to fulfill their calling in life. I'm here each week to share the strangest secrets to success with you. So let's get started. Who is Linda Fields? What's your story? Linda Fields is a girl who was born to a poor family in South Texas, had a loving family that loved God and each other, but were by no means perfect. My dad was a Baptist preacher, pastored a lot of small churches, and my mom had a love for business. and. I guess you could say we were poor, but we didn't know we were poor, which is a meaningful fact about how I've learned to live life. I've found through life, God met me at seven when I was saved in a real way when I began to understand Jesus died for me on the cross and for all of my sins. And it was a very real conversion experience to me. In fact, I baptized my little brother in this plastic swimming pool repeatedly after that until he saw the light. And uh, we just learned that God was real in our lives and met us right where we were. That carried me through a lot of things, learning to navigate dysfunction in our home, which was very difficult due to my mom's depression. And more, even more poignantly during the season where I encountered a fire that uh, just about took my life. And in all of these different kinds of experiences through life, what I've found is God has met me at every turn with everything I needed to move forward. As an adult and as a professional, I can look back now and connect a few dots that are things I want to share with other people so they too can find God when they meet these challenging times. You know, Jesus told us in the world, you will have trouble. He gave us a, a heads up on that. And, and it's true. And I, I just uh, love the way God makes his leadership apparent in our lives, the way he did that for me at seven, at 14, at 20, at 30, at every generation. Now I have daughters that are raised and learning to find God in this way in their own journeys. So I would just say, who am I? I'm just a girl who understood God was genuinely interested in my life and would help me no matter what came. And he's done that repeatedly. And I look back now at some of the things that have happened, and I'm just blown away at how God's allowed me to be a part of things and lead things, even though it might seem unlikely looking at the way I started out. In your burned but blessed chapter, of Find Your Wife Forward, you talk about the experience as a teenager that dramatically impacted your life, the fire. Talk to us about that. I was 14 years old. I was in the ninth grade. You know, 14 years of age is an important age for a teenage girl. You're concerned about life, concerned about how you're turning out, concerned about how you look and what people think of you. And on this day, I was getting ready for school. I had 
all my clothes out, picked out something special for the day. I remember it being a purple miniskirt. And I had my nylon hose on and my robe, and I was working on my hair and makeup. We had a big open bathroom. My little brother was nearby, I think, brushing his teeth. And this bathroom was in the central part of the house, and it had a big hot water heater in it. Now, my dad had made this move for us rather quickly, trying to help my mom get out of the limelight, which was very hard on her emotionally, even though they were in small churches. Being in the the preacher's family can have quite a few pressures, and these were very difficult for my mom. So my daddy had transitioned to work as a social worker, and that's what had precipitated this geographical move to this house. So here's the morning of, we're going to a new school, it's a big deal. I'm 14, my brother's 10, my mom's in the back, not doing well in this season. She had become addicted to prescription drugs, uppers, downers, diet pills, sedatives. And so she was not in a good place. But in the rush of it all, my daddy came in to light the hot water heater. And what we did not understand was that butane had been leaking into the house all night long. At this time, butane had no scent added to it. So the gas was a silent killer. When my dad struck the match to light the hot water heater, the entire room burst into flames. And there were orange flames of fire surrounding us everywhere we looked. It was a a loud whoosh. It changed everything in an instant. And we were fighting for our very breath and our very lives. My dad was able to get my brother and I out of that room somehow, call the fire department, and get my mom out of the house, and literally drove us to the emergency room. And as we were going, we were, you're in shock when something like this happens. You don't even realize the extent of what just happened. You're just in survival mode. And as we were in the car, we, I, we looked down and I had smoke wafting up, just drifting up from my legs and my nylon hose had literally melted into my skin. And I, I just, I, none of us knew how serious any of this was. We were literally in shock. My mom said, honey, you don't have to go to school till noon today. And I remember saying, I'm not going today and I'm not going tomorrow. And of course, not knowing I would not return to school that year at all. What transpired is we find ourselves in the emergency room. And as the personnel are taking care of me, I can see the seriousness on their faces as they are cutting off my robe, the things I'd been wearing to assess the burns and It was just, it's as though the seriousness of the situation is setting in on you in levels, upon levels, and you just begin to know, I'm in a bad place. I'm in a really hard place. My brother was being treated in a different room, my dad in a different room. They had to take my mom, actually, and just let her go home with my grandmother. She was not emotionally able to deal with all that was going on. And so that night, I was in my hospital room, bandaged from mid-thigh down to the bottom of my feet, both arms bandaged, my hair totally toasted out around my face, my lips were swollen up, twice the normal size. And in that night, a woman who was my Sunday school teacher, her name is Evelyn Cochran, showed up and sat with me through the night. She would put little chips of ice on my burned lips, uh, just little tiny pieces of ice through the night. And I remember every time I would drift off to sleep, I felt that I was floating up off the bed. And then I would startle awake 
And it required a lot of effort to stay on that bed. And I know physically I wasn't moving an inch, but actually my life was at risk that night. Prayer chains from our church going around the clock are the reason I'm convinced that I did live through that night. In the next 48 hours that would follow, they, I would find out that my mom was having to leave. I would find out that my dad brought him in in a wheelchair, my little brother on a stretcher. They had many second-degree burns. And they were bringing them in my room to tell me goodbye. I was being moved to a burn center in Galveston because by now we knew I had third-degree burns over 40% of my body. Third-degree burn means that all three layers of skin are gone. And so this means you're literally a large open wound. And uh, as a teenager, I had been worried before because I had freckles on my legs. And now I actually had no skin on my legs whatsoever. So the the days and weeks that followed were excruciatingly painful. Burns as a wound are, are painful, and they change bandages every day, which was a, a horrendous experience. I did not want to wake up. You're in a hospital full of children. A lot of people are crying all the time. So the whole atmosphere is just tinged with a high level of drama, a high level of of graphic realization that you're in trouble. And I found myself over the days and nights, they all kind of blend together when you're in a situation like this. But I found myself wondering, well, where was God? I had loved being the, the Baptist preacher's daughter. But in this time of tragedy, what I did know was true is that God did hear my prayers. That was a very confusing time because I did not see why he wouldn't have protected me or why this would have been allowed to happen. And so I was just asking the Lord, where were you? Did you see this? What happened here? And basically what came to be clear to me, very clear to me, I didn't have my Bible with me. I didn't have friends or family with me. I was alone much of the time. The Sunday school teacher who had shown up in the emergency room would come see me about once a week, but this was an hour away from our hometown. And what the Lord began to actually just let me understand was that had he not been with me, I would not be on the earth. That my life would have ended at 14 years of age. It was a very clarifying understanding that the Lord just met me in the midst of all this pain and all this crying and all these questions. And it brought a lot of peace to my mind and heart that God had seen me, had never left me, was with me in the fire and was sustaining me at this time. So I believe God allows us to define actually who he's going to be to us when we encounter tragedy. And when we encounter tragedy at a young age, like I did, a result can be that we actually get to define God's really going to be big to us from that point. And, and he, God is, he's big to fill those big shoes. So it doesn't mean it's not traumatic or it's not painful, but it shows, it helps you build a history in God. That's what I found. I began thinking about how the Lord was with me, and I I remember just saying, well, you know, Lord, I remember, too, that you're the God who made the lame to walk and the blind to see. I remembered my Sunday school stories and all the pictures that went with that. And I began to ask God to heal my burns without skin grafts. Now, when you have a third-degree burn, 
the only way you're going to be healed is uh, one of two ways. Either skin has to be taken off of another place on your own body and transplanted there. It's called a skin graft. Or you have to receive skin from a donor. Now, I already had a large portion of my body burned, but there were a few places they could get skin from on my own body to begin grafting these wounds. And this was actually on the calendar. It was scheduled. I began asking God, I said, Lord, I said, I understand that you were with me. I get that now. I mean, I wouldn't even be on the planet at all. So I began to just have this new appreciation for the fact I was alive. And I asked God to heal my legs without skin grafts. The doctors would come in routinely to fill out their charts and make their assessments. One day they came in and they said, uh, well, we've got your skin grafts on the calendar in a couple of weeks. They began to explain the procedure to me. And then they looked at my burns. And one of the doctors said, you know, I think we need to actually watch this a while longer because it looks like, it looks like little patches of skin are beginning to pull together. Now, here I am, 14, and I was quite a sight because burns are not pretty. Let's just say it that way. And I sat up in my bed with all the authority and confidence that I could muster. And I I looked at the doctors and I said, well, I said, the great physician is on my case. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I think they were making notes kind of like call the psychologist, call the social worker. But I'll tell you, I never had a skin graft. And a little at a time, day by day, skin grew back on my open wounds. And I found that my God had heard me, had spared me, and had a hand in miraculously healing my burns. Went back later and got all the pictures and documentation because we need to to remember, I need to remember time and time again that the Lord hears our prayers and the Lord's still in the business of miracles. I had to learn to walk again. That was another miracle as a 14-year-old, no sense of balance. There was a whole series of things that had to happen for me to be able to bear the weight of my own body, to understand how to put one foot in front of the other again and learn to walk just like a baby. So this burned but blessed chapter of my life was a very formative and pivotal time for me where I saw who God was to me in a whole new way. And that's where the blessing part comes out of probably one of the most tragic things I've ever experienced. I imagine that anyone hearing this who has ever been through anything, whether a physical trial or other trials in life, is hearing and being powerfully reminded of the power of God's presence. So there is this theme of God showing up in our lives that seems to be central to your message. And you're bringing that into the context of the marketplace and daily work. And so I want to ask you about your marketplace journey. How did you find your why forward in the context of all of this that happened to you at a personal level and what you experienced from being the preacher's daughter to the challenges uh, that your mother faced and, and your own challenge? And before I do that, I want to come back to something that you talk about in the book, and I want to make sure that you're able to share this because I found this a powerful testimony of what you just said. 
And that is the cab ride with the doctor many, many years later. Tell us about that. 40 years after this fire, I found myself at a professional meeting. I have been a college professor in business. I've been a corporate training leader. So I love business. We've had stores. So in the context of business, I was at a conference in Chicago and was headed to my hotel from the airport. And the cab driver said, anybody going to the Marriott over here on such and such a street? And so it happens that a gentleman and I, a gentleman I did not know, and I were going to the same hotel. So we agreed to share the cab. We got in the cab ride, and I'm, I'm a big believer, always watching for divine appointments and what happens, um, you know, what God's doing in it. So even in a cab ride, I, I thought there could be an adventure there, and I, I was right, there was. As I met this gentleman, I asked uh, what he did for a living. He says, oh, I am a burn specialist. I'm a burn doctor, and I'm here for a professional conference. So uh, you can guess what happened next. I ended up sharing with him my story. and. He was very, very quiet. You could just hear the wheels turning because I just told him that something that was not medically possible happened, that my third degree burns were healed without skin grass. And so he commented on it. He said, well, that doesn't happen. And I said, right. And uh, as we were riding there, actually, I was wearing a pantsuit. I'd always wondered if the day would come, I'd have to pull up my pant leg and show somebody my burn scars. And that day I did. And he fully appreciated what I was talking about, but he pressed the issue. He said, well, tell me, tell me more. Tell me about your treatment. What happened? How did they take care of you? And I said, well, I don't remember the names of any medicines or any medical terminology about the whole thing. I said, but I'll tell you something I'll never forget. And that is the fact that I was lowered into these over a hundred degree hot whirlpool baths two times a day where they would literally scrape off dead skin. And this, this whole thing, I remember, was all about preventing infection. It was very painful, very traumatic, the whole thing. I had to be lifted up like a baby, placed in this huge, hot whirlpool tub. I'll never forget it. It was not anything you, went, you looked forward to. You tried to endure it and then sleep till the next time, you know, to not think about it. And when I described that to the doctor, he had already already had his full attention. I remember his face to this day. He turned from me and looked out the window, and I saw him visibly processing. I could tell, you know, sometimes you can watch a person's face, you know, can see even their brow shift. I mean, it was like he was reckoning with something, basically. That's what I, how I would describe it. So just a second, he looks out the window. He has a serious look as he is processing what I've said. Then he looks back at me and he said, ma'am, he said, we do not do that treatment anymore. He said, rather than fighting infection, we found that it spread infection over large open wounds. And 70% of the patients who had that treatment died of septic shock. At that moment, we both just looked at each other. I'm telling you, it was as though the breath of God and the Holy Spirit just filled the cab. You, there was a tangible presence of God there in the cab. And I just, wow. <laughs> oh, that God would have taken care of me in all the ways I knew and in ways I never dreamed. And that I was getting to hear about it right now. It was a big deal. It was a red letter day for me. And I just had such appreciation 
appreciation's way too weak a word. I don't, can't find a better word right now, but I was riveted by the fact that God had intervened for me to keep me alive at age 14, to heal my legs without skin grass, to teach me to walk again and in many ways over life at 14, though physically walking again, and then to have protected me from what my caregivers were doing, which was in their best estimation the right thing to do. But God, (laughs) but God protected me yet again. And I guess the thing that I thought about, I call this kind of a cab ride with destiny when I journal about it and think about it, because I believe for men and women who have been through hard things, it's all those nagging unanswered questions that can so easily cause us to disconnect from God or believing God has any good plan over our life. And I know that I know that I know that God has good plans over my life. And sometimes you get to know about all of them, and sometimes they're working for you in the background. But what if I had railed against God, not understood at some level that he had been for me and with me? And what if I'd become a bitter old woman by this time because I'd been burned and because I'd been scarred and because I had had so much tragedy? I I just can't imagine the chasm I would have allowed to emerge between me and God, which is unthinkable to me because he's everything to me in every season showing me how to navigate. I think something like this is maybe an experience people might have once or twice in a lifetime where God kind of pulls back the curtain and says, just look here. Just look at how I am for you and what I have done. And if we waste all those years in between the incident and that revelation, to me, that is the real tragedy. So the cab ride showed me how God had been with me in ways I had never dreamed. And it really upped my confidence in God in every season. Wow. It's an inspiring story. And I imagine that anybody who has ever gone through anything has at least one or two of those moments that you're speaking about. Thank you so much for sharing that story. We hope you're enjoying listening to The Linda Field Show. If you would like to connect with Linda's message and receive a copy of her book, Find Your Wife Forward, visit lindafields.org forward slash books.